Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Number seven, a verse that I read last week, and also from Deuteronomy 4. I'm going to read first of all from the New International Version, and then I'll read from the King James Version just so someone don't have a nervous breakdown. Okay? <clears throat> Deuteronomy 2 and 7, this is from the NIV. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands, He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. Again, I'm reading now the NIV from Deuteronomy 4 and verse 27, starting the Bible says, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart, with all your soul. And just the first phrase of verse 30, when you are in distress. I'll read it now from the King James. That way everybody feels that level of comfort. Amen. Deuteronomy 2 and verse 7. For the Lord thy God have blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. He knoweth thy walking through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord thy God hath been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing. Again, in chapter 4, verse 27 of the KJV, the Bible says these words. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thine heart and with all thy soul. And again, just like the first little phrase, when thou art in tribulation. Amen. For a little while tonight, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach this. At the transition of generations. At the transition of generations. The crux of my message tonight is this. Moses is talking to a new generation. And as he talks to a new generation of Israelites, there are a couple things that they needed to know that was just as important and just as valid to the old generation or the previous generation that was just as valid for the new generation of Israelites that were coming up. And so I want to talk about at the transition of generations. Amen. Here this evening. If you'll help me pray. And tonight, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time. We have people here and we have people out there. So please don't get offended if I don't always look at you. Sometimes I'm just going to look straight on. Okay. Amen. You can see a little bit like what it was when nobody was here. Amen. All right. God, I come to you this evening. I pray, oh Lord, that you're able to help us tonight. God, Lord, I pray, Lord, for your anointing. 
God, I know, Lord, what you weighed upon my heart and my spirit this whole week. God, this is not something, God, that just came up today or yesterday. Lord, I've been meditating on this, Lord, all week. I pray, Jesus, that you're able, Lord, God, to share it with this people. Let it be applicable, Lord Jesus. God, if no one here, then somebody else in the future, Lord, that may hear this, God, in some other state or country. Lord, I know, God, that you'll bring your word. God, for it shall not return void. It will do that which is sent to accomplish in the lives of people. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. And you may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. The book of Deuteronomy is the words of Moses to the children of Israel of a new generation. This is a new, fresh generation of Israelites that are on the verge of crossing over the Jordan River into their promised land. And Moses is speaking, but God is telling him what to say. As a matter of fact, you can almost get lost in the book of Deuteronomy and forget that these words are coming from Moses' mouth because they sound so direct like words of the Lord, and they are. It's just that Moses is being the mouthpiece. He begins to recount to this new generation the journey that some of them, of course, would have been majorly young, uh, not even to an age of an accountability, had, had went through the wilderness journey. Most of all the previous generation has died, but he recounts the journey of their ancestors. He recounts the journey of the older generation, and along with that, he talks about the first generation's disobedience. He talks about the wilderness that they faced. He speaks to them of what we call the wilderness wanderings of the first generation of Israel, you'll even notice that he speaks to them uh, in the scripture in the past tense because he's talking about what happened and what took place because from their present moment of almost going over the Jordan to the promised land, everything he's talking to them about is stuff that has already happened, stuff that had already taken place with their mom and their dad and their grandparents. And so there is basically an entire new generation generation that stands here at the same Jordan River now that the previous generation had stood at at one time as well. And so he who speaks, uh, who, who he speaks to is this younger generation, of course, except for Joshua and for Caleb. Most of these people that he's talking to have either been born during the wilderness years or they are at an age now that they have grown up during the wilderness years. They, Some of them may have been babies when this all started and were not a part then of those who would die in the wilderness because of their age. And so they know what Moses is talking about because they've grown up and matured through the wilderness years. And so whenever we consider this, he speaks to them about the past and says that the Lord had watched over their journey during this last wilderness. They know, they are acquainted with, either having been born or, or grown up during the wilderness years. The wilderness, according to the word of the Lord, is both something that is desolate and something that is deserted. It is something that is beyond, for example, beyond the limits of settlement. Therefore, it is beyond 
control. It's kind of a wild type of environment. It is the home of wild beasts. It is the home of wandering people and wandering tribes such as Israel was. The first generation of Israelites called it, even in scripture in the book of Deuteronomy, the great and terrible wilderness. And perhaps they labeled it rightly so because they were met during that wilderness journey as we read through the scripture, they were met with no water in the wilderness. And if they didn't have any water, then they were facing bitter waters during the wilderness journey. Alongside this moment of drought, the Bible describes their wilderness as a place where the fiery serpents and the scorpions they had to deal with in their wilderness journey. The wilderness was such a loathsome place that the first generation even assumed that we're going to die in this wilderness. They told Moses, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt than for you to take us out into the wilderness to die. It was a land, the wilderness, that burned by the summer heat and it was generally a wasted, rocky, and sandy land. It is the wilderness in the New Testament was the place where Jesus was tempted. It was the wilderness that Job taught talked about. If anybody knew about the wilderness, Job did because the Bible says it was from the wilderness that the wind came that was strong and destroyed the house of Job's children which resulted in all of their deaths. In other words, in most places, amen, and cases, the wilderness, deserted, desolate, deplorable, terrible, horrible, Amen. Oftentimes depicted as a solitary place. If you was in the wilderness, you were typically alone while you were in the wilderness. And so if you begin to think about that in the first generation of Israelites, and for that matter, anybody, no one can remain for very long among such a desolate, deserted, beyond inhabitable place like the wilderness. Amen. Especially with a group of people. Especially with a nation. Amen. Once you're in such a place, you're going to start to feel alone. You're going to start to feel forgotten. The deplorable surroundings of the wilderness themselves would tend to depress an individual, subject a traveler to hopelessness when there's no water or the water that you can find is bitter water. And so undoubtedly there were times that God seemed nearer to them than other times through their wilderness journey. But I'm sure tonight that there were some times that he did not seem as though he was in the wilderness at all. I guarantee you there were some Sometimes that God felt as furthest as he had ever felt from them during their journey in the wilderness. And yet I know, I understand, we've all heard the word of God. We've been given the assurance of Hebrews that says that he said he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. And I know Paul told him at Athens, hey, just feel after the Lord if happily you might find him for he's not far from every one of you. But I'm here to tell you tonight, being a part of the fabric of humanity that that does not keep where I am where I am in the wilderness doesn't keep me from feeling amen like where I am desolate, deserted, alone abandoned, without amen I know it's a location but sometimes your location becomes how you feel And when we live for prolonged periods in desolation and prolonged periods in desertion, we start to feel desolate. 
We start to feel deserted. When life is met with lack of water and bitter water and no water, we start to think there isn't a water source. When the heat of the heaven is beating heavy upon your brow and against your necks and you're languished and your tongue is hanging out your mouth and the beasts of the open field are encircling you because of where you are, you start to feel all alone. You start to think you're going to die. Either by thirst or by hunger or by injury. It's in these moments that I believe, amen, that we can identify with David when he said in Psalms 13 and verse 1, he said, and this is his cry, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever, how long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Have, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been where David maybe is at or where the first nation of Israelites were? Have you ever felt like God forgot you? Have you ever thought that you was never going to feel him again? Never hear his voice again? Never have any help again? Wondering, you know, maybe God's just hiding. Amen. David felt like God had forgot him. Like God had hid from him. If it is which one thing, listen, it's one thing, amen, to be forgotten. Because that seems to lend to the idea of an accident. But it's another thing to feel like someone's hiding from you. Because that lends to the idea that it's a purposeful action on their part of just trying to avoid. David feels both. He feels like God's forgotten him and he feels like God is hiding from him and this has gone and gone on and he feels like he's feeling being overlooked and he's purposely being avoided. Someone say amen. It's been so long that he feels like that it will never end. It's been so long that David presumed that, that God would never return and visit him with mercy or visit him with grace. Where are you, God? That's his cry. Amen. This was in part even the concern of Moses going forward with the first generation toward the land of promise. He wanted to make sure that God was going to be on board during the journey. Just give me a little time tonight. Amen. In Exodus 33 and verse 12. This was Moses' concern as well. Amen. Before they, they're getting ready to start their journey. And the Bible says, And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. You told me to go on this journey. You told me to get them from Egypt to the promised land. You told me to take this route. But my question to you is, who's going along with me? I know I got about a million or so people. But who's going to come along my aid? Who's going to come along to my help? The Lord had already told him in verse 2 that he had sent an angel. He goes on and says, yet thou hast said, he, this is what you said, Lord. You said, I know thee by name. I know you, Moses. And I know you, tribe of Benjamin. And I know you, I know you. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. You're telling me all of this, but where's my help? He says, now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, shew me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, God said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And Moses said, and he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us up, not hence. Carry us up. 
There is not a pence. In other words, I don't want to be going through the wilderness. I don't want to go through this desolate place, this deserted place, this lack of water many times place, hard to find food place, unless you're going along on the trip. Someone say amen. Moses knew he's going to travel through this wilderness with about a million people and he just wanted to know if they would have to do it alone because God you say you know my name God you say that I found grace in your sight but there is a wilderness that sets between our Egypt and our promised land it's barren it's dry it's deserted and I'd rather not go if you're not going I'd rather not endure if you're not there to endure with me. I'd rather not venture out if it means facing all the harsh realities of the wilderness by ourselves. Let's walk with me here for a moment. And so with good reason, Moses begins to highlight the wilderness journey with the next generation. Right? Because he's been there, bought the t-shirt. They were alone for the ride growing up or born during it. And he begins to emphasize the first generation's unfaithfulness in the wilderness. They complained. They murmured. They grumbled. And God told Moses. He says, Moses, this is what he told him. He said, my presence shall go with thee. But now Moses is telling the next generation. God told the first generation through Moses, my presence shall go with thee. But now Moses is talking to the next generation. And he's looking back in the past and saying God said he would have been where he was with your mom and your dad. God said he was going to be with your grandma and your grandpa. He tells us in Deuteronomy 2.7, he tells them God has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. In other words, Moses stands up with this new generation and he begins to investigate their future. He begins to tell them in chapter number four, he said, guess what? Your parents were unfaithful and there's going to be periods of time in your life you're going to be unfaithful too. They had a hard time out there they grumbled and complained and didn't always listen to the voice of the Lord I'm telling you as the next generation you're not always going to listen to the voice of the Lord you're not always going to be obedient and you're going to experience some of the same the first generation lacked a devotion to God and you're going to find yourself in the future in distress, in captivity, in bondage and you likewise are going to lack in your devotion to God. They had a wilderness but what's going to rival the wilderness of your generation is your captivity. Someone say amen. And so Moses looks at the past and then he looks toward the future. He looks at the previous generation and he looks forward to the next generation. The old generation unfaithful had their wilderness. The new generation will be unfaithful and have their captivity. But at this juncture in the road, in a transition of generations, Moses says, God watched over the journey of the wilderness of your parents. And he tells him in verse four, and God will look over your journey in captivity. He says, Israel will be scattered among many nations. 
They're going to practice some unsavory deeds of worshiping things that were made by the hands of men. Let me put it in these terms. You're going to feel abandoned. You're going to feel distressed. You're going to feel separated from God. But I'm telling you this, that God that looked over the first generation is the God that's going to look over the second generation. That God that provided for your parents is the God that's going to provide, amen, for you children. That God that provided for the elder is the God that's going to provide. He says there's something you need to know that doesn't change. God will provide even when you're unfaithful, even when you lack devotion, even when you've turned your back. God is a generational God and he's still going to watch over He just wants them to know. Listen, kids. Listen, next generation. Oh, Kabasiah. God is going to watch over you. It doesn't matter your circumstances. It doesn't matter your surroundings. Look what he said. He said, but if there, someone say there. He says, but if there, you seek the Lord, he'll be found of you. What was he saying? If in your captivity, Wherever there is for you, if there, you'll seek the Lord, he'll be found of you. What that mean is, placement doesn't matter. Depths of the valley doesn't matter. Extent of our recklessness doesn't matter. What matters is the intensity of our seeking and the object of our search. He says it doesn't make it special because that was a wilderness and this is captivity. What makes it special is that God is still God. That God is still the same. I'm telling you, I'm standing at a transition of generations in my hour because there's a next generation coming up that thinking the signs and the miracles and the wonders and the things that God performed in former generations is not for them, not a promise for them. But I come to refute that 110% tonight. God is the same. And if he did it for my grandma and my grandpa, he'll do it in my generation and he'll do it in my kids' generation. He's a transitional God of generations. He will watch over us on this church. God wants them to know next generation, what's been true before, is still true now. Just because your parents were rebellious, that didn't remove God from watching over their lives. And observing their choices. He watched them. He is watching. And he'll watch over you just as well. Bishop, I believe that was the quandary of Gideon's day. Of the next generation up and coming. Because what was it that Gideon asked when the angel of the Lord showed up and said, Thou mighty man of valor. He spoke back to the Lord and what did he say? He said, Where be all the miracles? which our fathers back here where be all the miracles that our fathers told us of Gideon even went to the sake here he is their wilderness their captivity their oppression he says God has forsaken us you know what God's saying? This isn't the first time I heard my people say that. You're not the first generation to come up with this bright idea that I've forsaken you or hid from you. 
or abandoned you, you sound a lot like your mommy and daddy and your grandma and grandpa. You're not coming up with anything new. You say you feel like you've forgotten of me, but the voice of the Lord came to him and said, surely I will, everybody say will, future tense, surely I will be with thee. In other words, listen here, Gideon, wherever you're there is, if you'll seek me, you'll be, I'll be found of you. If you seek me, I don't care what you're there is, it's oppression right now. It might be a battle later, but wherever the there is, if you'll seek me. And so Deuteronomy holds the departing words of Moses. Moses gives a lot of speeches. In the last chapter, it holds the story of his death as he ascends the mount of God. All these departing words of Moses prior to his end. And Moses has been along for the journey from Egypt to the Jordan River now twice. He's been with them all along. Let me state it like this. These, this first, this second generation, this next generation had not known a life without a Moses. So in part, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses preparing the next generation of Israel for life without a Moses. Life without, if you will, a hero of faith. But he's underscoring, Brother Zach, to the next generation. Although life from here forward may be a life without me, it will never dissolve into a life without God. Hold on. What are you saying? I'm saying the Billy Hats can pass away. And the Grandma McGee's can push up the tulips in the graveyard. And the Fred McGee someday is not going to be on the third pew on the left side. But although their lives may perish, one thing is for sure, it'll never dissolve into life without God. Next generation, you might not have that hero that you looked up to as you grew up in the church, but be knowing well when they've given their last breath and their Lord into the ground, God has not lessened. He's still powerful, still watching, still observing over his children to the generation and the next generation. God wanted the next generation of Israel to know that your there is immaterial. I know that the generation before you lived, hear me tonight, the generation before you lived during a different time. And they had a different set of circumstances. And they were literally at a different place geographically. But all of that is immaterial. Because the same wilderness that was filled with wild beasts and serpents and scorpions, the same wilderness that was desolate and deserted and drought stricken, was also a place where God delivered and God provided and God revealed Himself. There 
was where water came from a flint stone. There is where manna and quail came from heaven. There is where a tree sweetened bitter waters. There is where the cloud closed, waxed not old, and the feet did not swell upon the people. There the fiery serpent's bite was cured. There in the wilderness because God was watching over their journey. The psalmist says in Psalms 107, look it up for your homework. Psalms 107 verses 33 through 35. It informs us some of the abilities of our God. It's quite, it's quite amazing, honestly. The verses read like this, and I'm not reading them to you. I am paraphrasing them for you. Speaking of what God can do, God, it says, turns rivers into a wilderness. God turns the water springs into dry ground. God turns a fruitful land into barrenness. This ain't sounding good. But he also says God turns the wilderness, though, into standing water. And God can turn the dry ground into water springs. Folks, we have two things here. They're stated just the opposite. On one hand, God can take the water springs and turn them into dry ground. But then it says God can take the dry ground and turn it into water springs. Honey, if it's dry, God can make it wet. And if it's wet, God can make it dry. I don't know if you caught that but God can turn a fertile field into a wilderness or he can take a wilderness and turn it into a fertile field it's not a dilemma for God and it won't be a dilemma for the next generation or any generation past, present, or future because God is God so one of the things that needed to be stated explicitly at this transition of generations is that God was going to watch over them just as diligently as he had watched over any generation prior to them. I'd love to quit my sermon there. As a matter of fact, when I first started this whole sermon, I thought that's where I'd be finished. But sometimes I start with sermons thinking they're going one direction. They turn out in a whole different direction than what God wanted from what I wanted, I should say. So I'm telling tonight I would be remiss if I only shared with you that God is the same as far as being there for you and watching over you just as diligently as any other generation. If I told you that, I'd be remiss if then I didn't tell you or share with you that he is the same as far as he has the same expectations of every generation we tout as good Pentecostal apostolics and we should Jesus Christ the same yesterday who today oh! and forever we tout it scream it from the house code and when we quote that many times we have you tell me if I'm wrong after church not right now but many times whenever we quote that, we have in mind concerning all of his goodness. Oh, it's the goodness is the same. He'll be there just the same. Saving power's the same. His authority to heal is the same. His greatness to deliver is the same. Yesterday did. But it's not just those aspects of God that's the same. God is the same when it comes to his commandments. 
God is the same when it comes to his precepts. God is the same when it comes to his statutes. God is the same when it comes to expect his expectations. It's just not all his goodness and his lovey-dovey and fluffy clouds. God is the same. I'm saying at the transition of generations we don't need to overcorrect or be unbalanced and just talk about how he's going to be there. We also need to talk about how we need to be there. Deuteronomy 5. It's in your Bibles. Deuteronomy 5 verses 1 through 3. And Moses called all of Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel. Listen to me. He is talking to this next generation. Hear me clearly. Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. Look at verse, look at verse 2. The Lord our God made, past tense, a covenant with us in Horeb. God talked us from the fiery mountain that quaked in cloud and lightning. He gave the Ten Commandments then. Verse 3. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers in the past, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive. This, you know what he's saying? That wasn't just valid for your mom and dad. Those weren't just Ten Commands, Precepts, and Judgments. That was good for Grandma and Grandpa. That didn't just apply to the first generation and you got a free out-of-jail card and it doesn't apply to you. When God said, have no other gods before him, and he told that to your parents, that's for you now too. The God that said, thou shalt not make any graven image, and your parents heard it, that applies Look in your Bibles. You read Exodus chapter number 20. All the listing of the Ten Commandments. You know what you read here in Deuteronomy? It's like deja vu. You're reading a listing of the commandments. He's not just sharing what was shared. He's sharing purposefully. Because what was important for the first generation was likewise important for the next generation. saying is this he's not just read a storybook of history he's talking to them how their history is valid for the next generation's future Deuteronomy is the book of remembrance Moses is not just saying oh I remember that statute or I remember that judgment he's saying listen that which was made with your forefathers he said it is also pertinent for us even us who are alive For those that are alive right now, amen, they're true for this generation. And so he's rehearsing, as I said this morning, brother brother Fred, he's rehearsing these same words to a new generation because they are true. The commands that were given to their fathers at Horb is true for this generation now and every generation. And look even what he says. I bring this up because you... In your generation, you need to learn them. You need to keep them. And you, just because your mommy and daddy kept them, that doesn't fall over on your shoulders and you're free to not keep them. No, 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 no. He says they kept them. You got to keep them. They learned them. You got to learn them. Someone hear me right now. They did them. You got to. 
I got to preach to the to the internet world. Amen. Out there, let me tell you. I don't care if you're fourth or fifth generation Pentecost. Hear me quite well. I don't care if you have a genealogy that all of your forefathers have been preachers and pastors from your present day four generations back. That does not mean you can ride on their coattail. That does not mean you can do sin in the closet under the under the if you will table. You got to learn them. You got to do them. You got to keep them for your generation. We're, Because there are some smug apostolic Pentecostals that think it doesn't apply to them. Let me tell you, it all still applies to us in our generation. So at the transition of generations, it wasn't good enough to tell them that God knew where their there was and that he was going to watch over them on their journey during their ups and their downs and their oh is me's and their hallelujahs during their moments of faithfulness they didn't just need to know that that's many times the part we want to concentrate on but they also needed to know that when it came to expectations that God was the same help me Holy Ghost In other words, God didn't expect anything less of their parents' generation than he was going to expect of their generation. And neither was he going to expect more. This generation that Moses was speaking to needed to know that the covenant obligations of the past applied to them and not just to the first generation that the covenant was made with the forefathers was also for those that were alive this day you know, can I preach this here for a little bit tonight just a little bit so I've been around for a few years a lot of places preach a lot of things and I'm here to tell you this there's been too much talk of exchanging of generation that has went forth and have said how well you know that was then when grandma and grandpa was serving God. There have been conversations across tables, conversations over in corners about things of our generation. What applied back then doesn't apply now because that was then. That's, that's archaic. That's old-fashioned. That's people with a lesser revelation. Answer me this. If they had such a skewed revelation, why does it seem like they had a more prominent power? Oh, that was back then. Amen. That, that was back in the olden days, you know. That, that's back when they barely even had electricity and running water. That, that was back then. We've got a better understanding now. We received a greater revelation now. Amen. And all of those archaic things, it would be a misapplication to apply it in our day. 
Ghost. Let's just break open the old hymn one more time and sing, give me that old time religion. It said it was good for Paul and Silas. It's good enough for me. It said it made me love everybody and it's good enough for me. It'll take us all to heaven and it's good enough for me. Give me that old. Now, if you think I'm speaking out of terms, let me take you to Scripture then of James 1 and verse 27. This is your word. And I think it was in the last couple of weeks this stood out to me. He says in the book, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and many churches today across all denominations stop there. Pure religion, pure religion, undefiled before God, is taking care of all the fatherless and the widows. And they do it good. But that is not the total package. And this is a part of pure religion too. This is a part of it being undefiled too. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. So go on and take care of the fatherless. Yes. Go on and take care of the widows. Yes. But forget not to keep yourselves unspotted. We need to stand at the transition of generations and herald that from the church house. many times we're stopping halfway we have all of our food kitchens and we're doing the humanitarian things of feeding those that have no food and clothing those that have no clothes and all of that is important and it should be but not without keeping ourselves unspotted from the world if you've done all that and not done the second half then you don't have pure religion you are defiant There are great strides across the world today. I'm telling you, you know it, you see it, about tending to the fatherless and the widows in their need. That is there. And that should be done. But not at the expense of leaving the rest of the verse undone. Because the way that some only believe they can truly have any attention toward the fatherless and the widow is if to be just like them. I'm not talking about fatherless and widowed. I'm talking about being worldly. Recently, just here in the beginning of this year, I was reading a book that admitted something that many have probably already realized. And I quote, it wasn't though just a theory, something that was talked about in a sector somewhere else. This was something that was actually in print. So I know this is the mind frame. Take it as you will. But it said, and this is just a quote from the book. It said, Lakeview Baptist Church is a typical grain congregation caught in a slow decline. Church leaders are considering a name change to Lakeview Christian Fellowship. They're following the lead of thousands of other churches that have attracted new blood 
by simply dropping their denominational name from the church sign. He said, Lakeview will remain a Baptist church, but it will not trumpet that affiliation. Oh, God, help me. Because affiliation with some names is a revealer and a teller of that place's doctrine. Is everybody doing okay? I'm just preaching here tonight. Oh, God help me. But I'm not against, listen to me clearly, I don't want to be misunderstood or someone skew about what I'm about ready to say. I'm not against you if your church name has the word mountain in it, community in it, road in it, river in it, pebble in it, or golf ball in it. But if your motive to have that word in it is to shy away from your doctrine, then you need to keep the name that you got that identifies you as you are. But as for this church, you can call us the first apostolic church because at every generation and future generation, we will be apostolic. I want them to know I'm tethered to and the foundation of this assembling is built upon the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I don't care what you call yourself, but don't try to do it. Try to get in the way from your doctrine. And it's just not happening in the denomination world. It's happening in the Pentecostal Apostolic Churches. Years ago, years ago, in McVinville, Tennessee, might have shouldn't even said the city. Sorry. I was an evangelist and we were evangelists. We went to preach for a home mission work that was started. We were their first evangelist, first revival they ever had. The pastor of the church told me when I was sitting in his car one day, his name didn't have apostolic or Pentecostal. And when he created his church, he left it a little ambiguous. He told me with, for this very purpose, because he didn't want people to already shy away from the place of worship because they would know who they were by their doctrine in their name. He says, I want people to show up, feel comfortable, amen, get to know us, and then just like us so much that after they find out our doctrine, they won't, they won't shy away from it. Let me tell you today, that man is backslid. He's divorced. That church is dissolved. Because when you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. But I'm standing tonight at a transition of generations and telling you keep apostolic on it, keep Pentecost on it. If your motives are incorrect, you need to fall back in love with this gospel and fall back in love with Jesus. Learn it, know it, do it, practice it. And God will watch over your journey along the way. Stand with me. I'll try to close in the next five minutes. I got to tell you, I'm saying this with all humility. We're losing people by the groves. It's going to be Moses to stand at the generation and do that favor to the next generation about telling them those things are still just as they were from the previous. 
You know, march on, orders go unchanged, continue. Moses knew before he died. Moses knew before he died. And before the next generation went on, that they for sure needed to know these things. Because to not realize either one of these two facets would be a tragedy for the next generation. And to fail to convey either altogether would almost be irretrievable for the next generation. Hear me clearly tonight. It's this sort of thing that gives us the book of Judges whenever there is a dropping of the baton at the transition of generations. The book of Judges, I've told you on more than one account, and I want you to always remember this, it holds some of the most peculiar stories of Scripture of a man that cuts his concubine in 12 pieces and sends it to all the tribes. All kinds of bizarre things, it seems. We're scratching our heads thinking, is this even in God's word? This is crazy. But remember, the book of Judges has this overarching theme. It's the hour in which every man did that which was right in his own eyes. These stories, the book of Judges, follows hard after the book of Joshua. If you read your Bibles, you know this. You went from Joshua to Judges and you're reading through a year. This sort of thing gives us the book of Judges. These stories are a result partly because the Bible says Joshua. Moses was there at the transition between him and Joshua. Right? Telling these things. But Joshua and the elders of his generation didn't practice what Moses practiced at the transition of generations. And I read to you Judges 2 and verse 7, Trevor. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Verse 10, Trevor. And also all that generation were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. The New Living Translation says it like this. Another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. Statutes and judgments. Or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. He's still there watching over you. Why? Because somebody wasn't diligent at the transition at the next generation. To let them know. The God that watched over the children of Israel to get in the promised land. Is the God that's going to watch over the next generation that's living in. Joshua, somewhere there was a drop. He didn't stand there and tell them. This is what God said back at Horeb. These are the commands. Learn them. Keep them, do them. And as a result, they didn't acknowledge the Lord. And they didn't know His mighty acts. Folks, all it really takes is a mishandling in the transition of one generation. 
We've studied, I've studied, they've had books of the sectarian cycle and how the movement of, of any movement, it has this up, up flow and then it gets to about the third generation. If something isn't done, it's down. I'm telling you, it even, it's even sooner than that if there's a mishandling of even one generation. They may not acknowledge the Lord and not know everything that he had done for generations in the past. So I'm telling you tonight as a pastor, I'm telling you tonight as someone that I feel very responsible in that I know the Bible says that David served his generation and died. And I want to be that to be the epitaph over my tombstone whenever I die. I, and the only way that I feel best that I can serve my generation is stand here as Moses did in his generation. And tell you that God will watch over your journey. God is still going to be there when I'm dead. God's still going to be there if the, if, the, if the address of this church changes and it's somewhere in a different location in a bigger building. God's going to be there to watch over your journey, but also to tell you with the same, the same burden that that God is the same in the respect that he does not change his expectations. They don't get less as his time gets nearer. His expectations are the same concerning his word because God is God is a song that we old timers. We used to sing around here and that doesn't ever change. Whether it's mercy, grace or judgment. And I'll say this tonight. And, and you can battle this with me. I don't care. It's fine. I might be wrong. But I'm just telling you how I feel. That you'd be better off thinking that God forsook you than to think that he forsook his righteousness. I'm compelled tonight to stand at the crossroads and tell you both. He's going to watch over us now and in the future. In the words of his covenant that has applied, do apply, and will apply at the transition of generations. We bow our heads here tonight. I feel tonight that this just isn't the responsibility of a pastor. That this is the responsibility of moms and dads and family. That we educate the next generation. That God is just going to be as prominent as strong and dependable and confident and supplying toward them. But also that we need to be just as faithful. Just as diligent in our commitments. Of learning and doing and keeping. Those things that he desires and wants. Because we want to live a life that's just pleasing unto God. These altars are open. Will anybody tonight stand at the transition of generations tonight and help me. To reach one hand to the past of our forefathers. And reach another hand into the future. And convey that God stays the same in all aspects. That God will be the same in all aspects tonight. Is there anybody tonight that will help me stand at a transition of generations? Amen. One's going to pass away and another one's going to take its place. There'll be babes birth like, birth like Asher and Graceland that's in this place that they're going to need a generation whenever the time comes of the passing of the baton and the transition in their generation. There's going to meet somebody that's going to need to be able to tell Graceland, God's going to watch over your journey as he watched over your mom and dad's journey. There's going to need somebody to be there to say, you know what, the precept 
precepts and the statutes and the standards they didn't just apply to the first they apply now to your generation as well hold these truths cherish these truths and cherish a God that is mindful of whatever that there is where you're at in your life I won't water down 
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.